Anybody out here collectors? You go out, you find something at a yard sale or you see something at a thrift store and you just can't live without it. You have to take it home and add it to a whole pile of the same thing you got at home. And, uh, and can't get, you just can't pull yourself away. It's something you can't survive without. I'm not too bad about that, but one of my things that really gets me is old theology books. Now, I know you're going to say, wow, how exciting, but for, <laughs> for some reason, I like them. I've got one that's 1898. It's a commentary on Matthew that they say is still the best commentary that's ever been written. And I find them to be refreshing. I find them to have a different approach to subjects. I have found old notes and old outlines in them and where a pastor maybe 80 years ago prayed over a passage and, and to preach. And so so I like that. And, I, and I'm... It kind of led up to this sermon today because I was in a thrift bookstore a while back and a book on the shelf caught, the title just caught my eye. And it's kind of the title of what I want to talk about today, but the title of that book was Whatever Happened to Sin? Big question mark after it. Of course, my first thought was, well, nothing's happened to sin. We're neck deep in it in society. That's obvious. As a matter of fact, I had to talk to God about one that same morning myself, you know, and we... So we all understand those situations. But, so the book came home with me naturally. But as I dug into it, I realized the book was talking about the idea and the, and the precept that as a growing, maturing society, both technically, educationally, and everything, we're moving away from the concept of sin in our society. And, and it's quite an interesting approach that he took to it. And basically he was saying as a people... We're moving away from the idea that sin exists. We're moving away from the concept of what the Bible says about sin. We're moving away from the concept of saying, hey, I am a sinner, I'm guilty. And moving away from the concept that sin even exists, and therefore if sin doesn't exist, we don't sin anymore. And we see that as, as, as we pull away because we want to do what we want to do. We want to feel good about ourselves. We don't want to deal with guilt. And so what better way to do it than, than just ease away from this concept of, oh, by the way, I am a guilty sinner saved by God's grace, and even for the unsaved people. And so if you think about that, you say, well, I don't know about that, but just think about this. If you're in here this morning and you're over 50 years old, think about some of the garbage that's on TV today. 35 or 40 years ago, this book was written in 1973 that I'm talking about. What would have happened if one of the shows that we watch, we don't watch, but that's on TV today and deals with all the issues of, that they deal with had been played in prime time in 1970 on a local TV station? What would have happened? There would have, there would have been a march on the TV station. Would there not have? Yeah. We would have cried out, what are you pumping this filth into our TV and our homes for? Now we pay for it. I think about that. Or at least it doesn't bother us, or at least we say, well, I don't have to watch it, and we don't. But it don't bother us that it's feeding a society that, that's constantly declining. The, the Southern Baptists, they said in our annual convention today, for the first time in history, we are declining in baptisms. We've held the line for a long time. Now we're actually, we were the only denomination for a long time that was not declining. There's more people being mourned and faster than they're being saved nowadays. Thinking along the same lines, here's, here's another thing that kind of proves the point. We don't think about it sometimes. 
There was a preacher on TV for 35, 40 years plus. He's just been off about three or four years. I'm not going to call his name, but famous, well-known. He was in all the interviews when somebody needed something or if somebody had an opinion about something. And this is what he said about this evaluation between sin and guilt and the relationship of sin and man. And this is quoted by him in 1987. He said, The gospel message is not only faulty, not only faulty, but potentially dangerous if it has to put a person down before it attempts to lift a person up. And, I re- and he went on to say in that, is he said, I don't think there's anything worse in this world that we can do than to tell a man he's guilty of something and tell the man he's a sinner when we're trying to reach down and get him. But any of you have ever dealt with anybody with addiction, you think, I know you have to know that you've got a problem before you can fix the problem. But that, like I say, that was a major mainline person that a lot of the, a lot of the gurus went to when they wanted to know. You know, and we have to admit we're sinners. So this issue this morning I want to talk a little bit about in this message is this relationship between God and between man and sin and that we're constantly wrestling with. Now, Romans 3.23 clears that issue for us that, that, that they accept Scripture as truth because it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That doesn't leave anybody out. We're all guilty by sin nature born into before we're saved. After we're saved, we're guilty of sin in the flesh, of the battle of the flesh and the spirit. So we never escape that title. How we respond to God is what matters when we start looking at this. We're going to be in Isaiah 59 this morning, and I'm getting like Coke. I'm, taking, I'm staying in the Old Testament. I don't know, <laughs> think he's rubbing off on me. He was here Wednesday night. But uh, Isaiah 59, there's some things about sin we need to think about now. And, 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 and I, I'm not saying that anybody in here doesn't accept the concept of sin and doesn't understand it. But I think in everyday life as we go along, sometimes we get, we get kind of mundane to what's going on around us. And so there's some issues here that I want to talk about just for a few minutes that I think will just be a, be a refreshment to us as, as believers. Isaiah 59, and I'm not going to read the passage before we start because it's 20 verses, and I'm going to use all of it, so I'm going to kind of read it as we come to it. But the first few verses I want to look at is, is Isaiah 59, 3 through 8. And, it's, and, and to say this, if God said it was sin in the beginning, guess what? It's still sin today. Look at Isaiah 59, 3 through 8. He said, Your hands are the hands of murderers. Your fingers are filthy with sin. Your lips are full of lies. Your mouth spews corruption. No one cares about being fair and honest. The people's lawsuits are based on lies. They conceive evil deeds and they give birth to sin. They hatch deadly snakes and, le- and weave spider's webs. Whoever falls into the webs will die, and there's no danger even in getting near. There's danger even in getting near them. The webs can't be made into clothing, and nothing they do is productive. All their activity is filled with sin and violence and their trademark. Their feet run to evil. They rush to commit murder. They think only about sinning, misery, and destruction. Always follow them. They don't know where to find peace or what it means to be just and good. They have mapped out crooked roads. No one who follows them knows a moment's peace. So we, God is calling sin, sin here. Now, here's the thing about it. We haven't come up with any new sin over ages, right? Also, there's nothing. The statute of limitations had not run out on any sin. God doesn't go down the list every so often and say, well, that one's out of date. We'll take it off. Or they don't pay any attention to this one, so I'm not going to worry about it anymore. What he said was sin on the mountain of Moses. What he said was sin in Leviticus. The things he drew out that was sin, they're still sin. 
just because society might think they're not, or we think, or we accept them nowadays, doesn't make doesn't make that right. And so we we periodically do that, but God doesn't take anything off the chart. If it's sin, it's sin. Just because we redefine our lifestyles to to, to suit society, doesn't mean God's satisfied with that. Now I believe in being relevant. We have to things change, generations change. But if we start looking over certain sins because society doesn't view them as, as, as a problem anymore, that does not change God's position. And that holds us accountable, and we have to deal with that. I'll give you a good illustration of how this, some of this takes place. In 1952, Congress voted to have a proclamation of a National Day of Prayer. And the first year, Truman did it. The second year, Eisenhower did it. And in his, and, and in his uh, proclamation, he made a reference to sin. And he borrowed the words from Abraham Lincoln's speech in 1863. Now, Abraham Lincoln was a was very uh, godly man and very theologically based. These are the words that Eisenhower used out of that speech. It is the duty of all nations as well as all men to own their independence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon. Now, he read that, gave that speech on national TV. An article in Theology Today a little later on said that once he did it, he did not like the concept of sin. He said it didn't fit the profile of a proud and confident American people, and he never used it again. And as far as we know, this guy up through 1973 was up through Nixon said no president did. And I don't know of a president. We've had Christian presidents, but I don't know of any national leader that stood on national TV and said, God, God forgive us, a sinning nation. And he said, could you imagine that today if a national leader stood up and beat his chest and cried out, God, we are sinners in America, forgive us. When, but most agree that's what we need to do. So in essence, he said, we quit sinning as a nation in 1953. And you understand the concept of what he's saying. The more we, the more we don't talk about it, the more we don't look at it, the more we don't identify ourselves with it, the easier it is to become to not be that. We've done away with the concept of saying, I'm guilty. And I'm not saying we have, but I'm saying society as a whole. Another thing, we're not sinners anymore. Now stick with me on this. Don't, don't throw a rock at me until I get through here. We're not sinners anymore. We're victims. We have addictions. We have disorders. We're dysfunctional. We're a product of our environment. We suffer from a lack of self-esteem. Now listen, I'm not denying that those are not valid I've had family and friends suffer from most of them. I lost a good friend to alcoholism at the phone company. I put him in rehab and tried to help him. I'm not saying they're not real, but there's a whole lot of people in this world who love to sin, and it's easy to make an excuse for it and cover it. And that's an issue we have to face. We have to call sin, sin. If there's sickness involved in it, there's sickness involved in it. But it still doesn't take away the fact that there's sin involved. We're good at the blame game. We're really good at it. And, we kind of, and the other thing we do is we reinterpret and we ignore Scripture to suit our own needs. Now, you might say, well, what is that? Well, there's just recently a book came out called Love Wins. The basic concept of that book, and I'm not going to call the pastor's name, was that there is no hell. If God loves everything he created and everybody he created, it just makes sense that he's not going to send anybody to hell. And his basic concept is there is no hell. It's universalism. It's what we're talking about. No devil. You would be surprised how many people sitting in Christian church today, saying they're Christian, thinks, well, the devil is just, it's just, uh, you know, it's just, it's just something we refer to. There is no real devil. 
No absolute truth. Think about that a minute. How do you say there's no absolute truth? You have to make an absolute to say there's not an absolute. You can't win that argument with God. God says in the beginning this was wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. It's still wrong. And so we wrestle with those things. And, I'll, and here, here's one that's real popular today across the board in our churches, in our mainline churches. All gods lead to the same place. All gods are good. That, it would shock you how many people that sit in our normal churches that go, well, I, I can't say that their God's not the same, that there's more than one way to get there. But, but, but what does the, second, the first and second commandment say? And what did Jesus say in John 14, 6? That he just verified it. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to him but through me. Now, I understand if you're lost and you don't believe this, and you don't take this as, 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 as a source of, of knowledge. I understand that. But how do normal, everyday people who profess Jesus Christ and put this up under their arm and come into a worship service like this every morning and carry this book with them and say, well, their God will get them there too. Undoubtedly, you're not reading this. I mean, because, I mean, it's, it's plain. Now, we, you know, we, it's easy to ignore it if that's what we want to do. So in, in looking at those things, sin always, it always has been, always will be sin in God's eyes. What we think doesn't matter. Now, one of the things, you know, you ever heard the old statement that you say, God said it, I believe, and that settles it? Well, that's not just right, okay? God said it, and that settles it. It doesn't make a hill of beans what you and I believe. He hopes we believe it, but when he said it, it was done. And so we have to, we have to understand that, but... Sin, that, sin in the beginning is sin today. God's position on sin in the beginning is still the same position he had today. Look at 59, 1 and 2 right, real quickly. It says, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor his ear too deaf to hear your call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and he will not listen anymore. God will not tolerate sin in the lives of his believers and his people. He just won't listen. And, and what he's talking about in Israel here, of course, this is, this is Isaiah, and he, he's, he's giving God's word to Israel, and he's saying, your sin has caused God to leave you here on your own and, and to not watch over you. Proverbs, another thing, it's God hates sin. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates, not, nor seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, False witness who pours out lies and a person who sows discord. Pretty well sums it up there. God hates sin, period. He loves us. He hates the sin that's in us. He hates the sin that man is under, and, and that never changes. We just did a study on Hosea here a while back, and in Hosea 8, 1 through 5, I'm not going to read it, but the essence of that passage, and he said, they transgress my covenant, they rebel against my law, my anger burns against them. He wasn't broken heart about it. He wasn't down the lip about it. He was burning fire mad about it. He said, you, you've transgressed my law. You've broken the covenant I gave you, and he's mad about it. Amos 6. Turn over just a few I want I want you to see this passage. I, I got into this one last night, and it caused me to go back and pray a little while longer. <laughs> Amos chapter 6. I mean chapter, I think chapter 5. I'm sorry. I'm going to wait just a minute. I want you to get there it's Amos, I had 6, but it's Amos chapter 5, 21. I'm getting old. I can't see my numbers good. So. 
This is kind of incredible. Think about this passage when you get ready to go to worship service next Sunday. We're already here today. I hate all your show and your pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I'll not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of endless river of righteous living, a mighty flood of justice and an endless river of righteous living. Was it to me you were bringing sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, Israel? No. No, you served your pagan god, Sacrath, your king god, and Quran, your star god, the images you made for yourselves. So I will send you into exile to a land east of Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of heaven's armies. He just rejected their entire worship. He just didn't. I mean, think about that. He said, I don't want to hear your music. I don't want your offerings. I don't want you even in here. I don't want to see it. I don't want to talk about it. How how do you make God mad enough he doesn't even want you in worship? But that's basically what he said there. He said, I'm sick of you. And, and that's a strong statement, but that tells us how God feels about sin when, when, when we, let, we let it run through our society. And, you know, and he just said, I'm not going to do it. And so we have to keep in mind that, that he hates sin. His position on sin in the beginning is the same today. We as a society might have advanced. We may not look at things as bad as we used to. We may be more tolerant in a lot of areas. God is not. That's the thing we need to realize. He is not. He has not changed his position one bit on what is sin and what isn't. He loves us. He wants us in his family. He wants to care for us and take care of us, but he will not do it on top of sin. And that's what the passage is saying here. All right? The penalty of sin in the beginning is still the same today. Look at 9 through 12 back in Isaiah 59. Now, this kind of changes pace here because this kind of comes to the congregation a little bit talking. He said, see, there is no justice among us, and we know nothing about right living. We look for light, but find only darkness. We look for bright skies. We look for bright skies and, and find only darkness. We look for bright skies, but walk in gloom. We grope like the brine along a wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. Even at brightest noontime, we stumble as though it were dark. Among the living, we are like the dead. We growl like hungry bears. We mourn like mournful doves. We look for justice, but it never comes. We look for rescue, but it's far away from us. What's the penalty here? God's protection and blessing has left them. They're alone in this world. They're living life their own way. He's, he's separated himself from them. And look at life without God is what? It's, it's pointless. It's, it's fearful. It's, uh, it's unfulfilling. It's uncertain. It's hopeless in a lot of ways. And, uh, and, and so he's just expressing that here. He said, you know, he said we... We look for bright skies, but we walk in gloom. You can just see the misery these people are walking in. You know, what, a, what a miserable depiction of life without God. But that's basically what he's giving you there. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Lean not on your own understanding, but in all ways acknowledge him, and he will guide your path. We can't live this life full and enjoy it without God in it. And, and, and that picture just paints it there, that, that what a miserable way to live without that. And then we wonder why we struggle in all these areas in life. It may come, it may have something to do with the fact we need to get back and get serious about some sin issues as individuals and as churches and as a nation, and you can take it just as far as you want to take it. 
So we know we, sin is, what was sin then is still sin now. God's position on sin then is still the same now. The penalty for sin is still the same. The remedy for sin in the beginning is still the remedy today. 12 through 15, confession and repentance. And what you see here is, is you, you see the people just saying how bad things was. And in verse 12 you see this. For our sins are piled up before God, and they testify against us. Yes, we know what sinners are, what sinners we are. We know we have rebelled and denied the Lord. We have turned our backs on our God. We know how unfair and oppressive we have been, carefully planning our deceitful lives. Our courts oppose the righteous. Our justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets, and honesty has been outlawed. Yes, truth is gone, and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. There's an all-out confession by the, by, by the people there. They said, yeah, look, at he starts it. He said, our sins are piled up against God, and yes, we know. That's where it starts. You have, we have to be willing to be humble before God, get before him and say, Lord, I've got sin I need to deal with. And that's going to be till the day we die in, in looking at that. But, uh, and humility is the key here. If you notice this, because you have to get to a point to where you say, I'm guilty. That is not a popular thing today. People doesn't, do not like to be accountable. People do not like to say, it was me. I did wrong. I'm guilty. And, and that's a tough thing to look at. But what he says in here, when you see this confession, you see this repentance-type position here, what's First John 1, 9 say? It says, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us all our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God is saying, look, I love you, and I'll forgive it. But it has to start with you. It has to start with you being honest, with you being humble, with you being willing to admit what the problem is as individuals, as churches, as nations, and you take that as far as you want to go. But the issue of, of God and sin and man has never changed. But society is changing that. But, but, it, but it doesn't help our cause. And, and we see that when we look at our faith and we look at how we're struggling and we're looking at baptisms going down, being able to reach less people. We're looking at across the board. When you look at Christian homes and non-Christian homes, there's no difference in all the, the problem areas, drug abuse, the whole nine yards. It's about the same. Something's wrong. Because that's not, God did not design us to live life just like the world. He designed us to live life outside the world, in the world, affecting the world, but live it as, as a picture of how the world ought to be. So we've, we, we've missed something here. And so in looking at those things, sin is still the same today. God's position on it is still the same. The penalty is still the same. The remedy is still the same. Plain old downhearted confession and repentance. You just, you just give it before God. And then God's response in the beginning is still the same. Look at Isaiah 16 through 21. And it said, The Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them, and in his strong arm and in his justice sustained him. He put on righteousness as his body armor. He placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance. He wrapped himself in a cloak, a cloak of divine passion. He will repay his enemies for their evil deeds. His fury will fall on his foes. He will pay them back even to the ends of the earth. In the west, people will respect the name of the Lord. In the east, they will glorify him. For he will come like a raging flood tide driven by the breath of the Lord. The Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins, says the Lord. And this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit will not leave them, 
Neither will those words I have given you. They will be on your lips and on the lips of your children and your children's children forever. I, the Lord, have spoken. In God's response to that, what you see in that passage is he realizes that the righteous people in Israel don't have any help. So he says, I'll take care of it. And he does that up until Jesus comes. And then he even refers to Jesus coming back again eventually to, to set everything right. So, so God's, the, the process here is God says, when my people will do that, I'll, I'll step in for them. And we know the old passage we've seen for years and years and years in Chronicles. It's always the passage you hear when they preach a revival sermon. All the old evangelists used to preach off this passage in Chronicles 7. Solomon had just, filled the, just finished building the temple. And it said the Lord came to him at night, and this is what he said. He said, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as a place for making sacrifices. And God said, at times I might shut up heaven so that there's no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. But then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open, my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for, my, for it is dear to my heart. That passage of Scripture really sums up the right process for what we're doing. God said, starts with humility. You've got to be willing to admit who you are. You've got to be willing to, to admit who God is. And you've got to be willing to admit you're accountable. And then he says, when we humble themselves, pray and seek my face. In other words, confess, get it out, and turn from my wicked ways. That's repentance. That means you take a different road. But that's all there is to this process. But God said, when you do that, I will meet you there, and I will be with you to the end of time and through eternity. And that's the promise he makes. And that's the promise we all have in, in, in doing this. Now, just to kind of recap a little bit, sin is real. It's dangerous. It's, it's our greatest problem. It's man's greatest problem. We know that. We, 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 sometimes we have a problem admitting that. Sin has to be dealt with. God hates it. It doesn't go unchecked. We can go a long time, but somewhere down the road we're going to deal with it. We're all sinners. We're all guilty. We'll all answer to God now or later or sometime. But Romans 3.26 says we're all guilty. Now, a few minutes ago when I read the title of that book, Whatever Happened to Sin? Well, nothing happened to sin. We know that. It, it's alive and well in our world, and, you know, we, we can ignore it. We can reinterpret Scripture to make it work for us. We can take it out of society. We can, we can live in ways to suit our own desires. We can, we can change God's view on things. We can blame it on society. We can blame it on somebody else. It doesn't change the fact that God is the sin is still there and that God still hates that sin, and we're all going to have to deal with it someday. The real question here is not what happened to sin. It's what's happened to us. What's happened to God's people that we're more casual about it nowadays, that we're not as stirred? What's happened to God's people that 30 or 40 years ago we would have marched on a TV station, and nowadays it might be on and we don't even think about not turning it off? That's the thing we have to answer in our, in our hearts. What's, what's happened to us? And uh, in understanding that what's happened to us, acknowledging sin, in humility, confessing sin, and, and in daily just trying to be right with God. That's all he understands. None of us are perfect. We never will be this side of heaven. 
But God said, you know, if you will, if you will just check in with me every day and keep walking and talking to me, we'll keep this right. So this morning there's two ways that all of us can deal with this. We can do it our way. We can carry on. We can depend on our own qualities, our own resources, our own abilities. And, hey, God will let us do that. He'll let us do that. And we might do all right for a long time. But somewhere, someday, we're going to give account for it. Somewhere, sometime, it's all going to, it's all going to have to be taken care of. And, uh, and, and, and sin has consequences. If you want to live like you want to live, God will let you. But there's consequences. Trust me, there's consequences that's going to take place. You can choose to do that, but go back and read what Israel said. We stumble along like it's in the daytime, like it's night. You know, we we just uh, just a pointless, pitiful life that they had, even though they had everything in in one sense of the word. Secondly, we can do it God's way. We can we can put ourselves for Him, and we can humbly do it His way. And have his blessings on us 24-7. Be walking with him. John 10.10 says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. If we want to live to the full, we need to do it God's way. And here's the key this morning. It's an individual decision. Every one of us has to approach God about our personal lives and about our sin on our own. Nobody else. I can't make yours. You can't make mine. But here's the thing that's really challenging about this. The decision that each one of us makes about what we do there affects the whole if we as a nation if enough of us as a nation cry after god god will answer if enough of us as a church cry after god god will answer if enough of us in our homes are centered on that or our societies or our community but just like in israel most of israel is the other way god said well i'll take care of the righteous but i'm gonna punish the rest of you the key is mine and your response does matter because we're in this together in the long run. It's a corporate decision in that it affects the whole. But each one of us has to decide how God's going to move on us this morning. And I pray that you'll talk to him about that and allow him to touch your heart with this morning. Sin is serious business. We all deal with it. I, I'm guilty. I struggle every day with things that, that, that shouldn't be going on with me. I'm not saying they're bad and we ought to get better and better and better, but we're always going to sin. But that's the issue that we have to be constant about and realize that's who I am. That's what, that's, that's what this world does, and I have to be willing to deal with that. So I just pray that God will talk to you about it this morning. Let's pray.